Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio from lead pastor Brad Evangelista. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Amen. Good morning. How are you? All right, let's go. Romans chapter 8. We have been journeying through the greatest chapter in the Bible, Romans chapter 8, for the past few months. And we find ourselves at the end. We've got this Sunday and then next Sunday we'll finish up this glorious chapter and then move on to some messages about Christ and His coming for the Advent season. But we find ourselves in Romans chapter 8, verses 33 and 34 this morning. And so if you don't have a Bible, as always, we'd love for you to use one of the Bibles in the chair in front of you. You can find Romans chapter 8 if you're not used to looking up verses in the Bible in, on page 944 or 740. And again, as always, we like to say that if you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to keep that one as your own. Have you noticed that there are always uh, two voices, it seems like, in my life and in the 10 years since we started this church that I've been a pastor and a few years before that on staff at another church, I think I could summarize just about every discussion, every counseling session with another person or even with my own soul, that there are always two competing voices going on inside of our heads and our hearts. There's one voice that is speaking a, a half-truth, which is ultimately a lie that says that we are condemned and guilty. And for the Christian, there is another voice that is speaking a greater truth. And it's the truth that we've been working through in Romans 8, that we are no longer condemned in Christ, that we are safe in Him, that we are made right with God, not because of anything that we have done, but because of what God has done in Christ to make us right through His Son's perfect sacrifice. There's always these two voices going on in our head. And in this text this morning, Paul is, through this chapter, has taken us up to the summit of the mountain of the gospel. And we're on the summit of the mountain, and I think the summit was chapter, uh, verses 28 through 30, where he says that those whom he has foreknown, he has predestined, and those whom he's predestined, he's called, and those whom he's called, he's justified, and those whom he's justified, he is glorified. And he says that this is so certain, in fact, that you can speak of it in the past tense. You are already glorified in Christ because he's foreknown you, predestined you, called you, justified you, and will most certainly glorify you. And as he brings us up to the summit of the gospel, the summit of this mountain of truth of Romans 8, he is, and this is his custom, this is his pattern in the Bible, once he establishes a truth, he then then answers supposed objections to the truth. And last week we looked at two of those objections, that what can we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And he who did not spare his own son, how will he not graciously with him give us all things? And this morning in verses 33 and 34, I think Paul is answering that one voice that often comes, that still lingers in our hearts and minds, this condemning voice that speaks a half-truth about our past or our present and says that you remain guilty. It reminds me of the beginning scene of Les Miserables, that beautiful play made into a movie. 
just came out a couple years ago, and Hugh Jackman plays the main character, Jean Valjean, and Russell Crowe is praying, uh, playing the antagonist, Val Jarrett, the, the captor. And if you saw the movie, you know that it begins with the prisoners in the French Revolution there pulling this huge vessel, this boat, into shore. And that's their task as prisoners. They're, they're pulling by rope this boat to the dock. And it begins off with this powerful scene and all of the prisoners are singing this song, Look down, look down. Don't look them in the eye. Look down, look down. This is where we'll surely die. I won't sing it for you. And you're welcome. (laughs) And then later on, as the scene develops and they pull the boat to shore, the story is is that this one character, played by Hugh Jackman, Jean Valjean, has served his time. And he's being released. And he gets this notice from the antagonist, played by Russell Crowe, the Valjeart character, and he gets this notice saying, you're free. You're free now to go. You've served your 19 years. But the antagonist, the captor, the jailer, Valjeart, looks at John Valjean and he says one more time that you will always be guilty. And he says, look down, look down. He says in the, the song there that you'll always be a slave. Look down, look down. You're standing in your grave. And he's saying to him, yeah, you may be free, but there's a mark on your notice here of freedom that you will, you're a dangerous man and there will always be a mark against you. Look down, look down. You will always be a slave. Look down, look down. You are standing in your grave. And that objection to the gospel of free grace and total freedom is what Paul is answering in these two verses. So let's read them and then unpack it. Romans chapter 8, verses 33 and 34. Friends, I say this a lot. These are glorious words. (laughs) And, and isn't that, that's why we're here this morning, not to hear my thoughts. I have no thoughts. I'm out of thoughts, and the thoughts that I had weren't any good. We're here to stare at the beauty of the gospel as revealed to us in his word. That's what we do Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. So let's read verses 33 and 34. Listen to these words. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Well, let's pray and ask God to help us see this beautiful truth. Father, we come to you now humbly on a rainy, sleepy day, asking for your grace to see the beauty of the gospel. In this room are two types of people, those that are trusting in you, that are putting their hope and their confidence for eternity, and they're meeting with you someday in what Christ, the Son of God, has done on the cross to bear the weight of our shame, to to die in our stead, 
And Lord, I pray for those people, Christians, believers in Jesus, who've been born again into this new and living hope that you would stir in our hearts a fresh affection for the beauty of this truth. And for those, the second type of people that are gathered in this room that are not yet trusting in Christ, some that may think they are, some that know they are not, that they are here this morning, I pray, God, by your grace, that you would help us, that you would help those friends to see this truth, that you'd give them a heart to believe and ears to hear and eyes to see. Lord, we pray that you'd do these things for the glory of your name, for the joy of your people, and for the salvation of unbelievers. In Jesus' name, amen. So there are always two voices speaking. One voice is the voice of the enemy, the accuser, the voice of our flesh, the voice of this world, the voice of the captor. It speaks a half-truth, which is ultimately a lie, reminding us of our rebellion, reminding us of our shortcoming, reminding us of our guilt. And there is another voice. It's the voice of the gospel. It's the voice of the Godhead. It's the voice of Jesus, the Son of God. And it is the full and greater truth. So I want you to have those two, two voices, those, that image of these two competing voices in our minds, in the heart and mind of every person. There are two voices. One that says, look down, look down. You will always be a slave. Look down, look down. You're standing in your grave. And then the other voice, the gospel truth, the greater truth, the full truth, that says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? For those that are trusting in Christ, it is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And so the gospel voice, the voice of God, the voice of God the Son, speaking gospel truth through His Word, by the Spirit of God, is the truer and greater truth. And Paul unfolds the, the elements of that truth in verse 34. He mentions four things. And so here's my outline. We're going to give it to you all at one time. This is what is, is we're going to look at this morning. We're going to stare at these four sentences. I don't even know if they're sentences, but they're four statements. Put them up there. Jesus died. Jesus was raised. Jesus is at the right hand of God. And Jesus is interceding for us. That's what verse 34 says, that Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, He is the one who was raised. He is at the right hand of God, and He is interceding for us. So let's stare at this truth, this greater truth. First, Jesus died. Why is Paul coming back around to this and, and reminding us of what Jesus has done on the cross for his people? He's telling us that Jesus has paid the debt, that he, is, that he has satisfied the holiness of God that we have all rebelled against. Every one of us, every human being has, has rebelled against God in some way. For some of us, it's obvious and public. Our rebellion. For others of us, 
Maybe the majority of us in this room, it's more internal because we grew up in a religious culture and our rebellion against God is a sort of innate self-righteousness that rests in every human being. And so we go and we're, we're, we're sort of encouraged in our self-righteousness by a gospel light religious culture that says if you do these things Johnny and Susie and come to church and are involved in these activities you're right with God and it just sort of heaps on and reinforces our self-righteousness and what Paul is telling us whether we are some obvious felon rebel or whether we are an internally self-righteous idolater that Jesus for those that are trusting in God he has paid the debt of our rebellion Jesus has died and to punish again which is what the guilty voice is telling us to punish again sin that has already been paid for atoned for would be double jeopardy Nobody, once they're charged with a crime, can be charged with that crime again. Nobody that has been released from a crime and been proven innocent can be charged of that crime, for that crime again. And that is Paul's argument, is that there is no more condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus because Jesus has substituted himself and died in their place for their sins. Friends, that is at the very heart of the gospel. If you are a Christian this morning, you don't just believe that Jesus died as a display of God's love, which certainly it is. And you don't just believe that Jesus died as a display of selflessness or a way to show servant leadership, although certainly he did that at the core of the cross, at the core of the gospel, at the core of the Bible, at the core of the most important news of the universe is that Jesus died as a substitute in our place for our sin. And he bore God's wrath for us. Listen to these words just a few chapters earlier in Romans. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 6. It says that for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely, scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good reason one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, we, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. What does it tell us there? It says that we have been saved not from a less than ideal life, not even saved from the devil or sin. We have been saved from, verse 9 there, by him from the wrath of God. And just as a little punctuation of the power of God, some thunder came while we read that verse. Isn't that awesome? By the way, I need to say that one of the reasons we're raising money for our capital campaign is to fix the roof. And so if it does start to rain really badly, there's a section right over there that does leak. And so right where Stefan Rayborn is sitting, I see a couple soldiers sitting there. So if it starts to leak, maybe you guys move up to the row in front of you. And then one of you soldiers go grab a trash can around the sun, put it over to the side, and we'll be good. But this is encouraging because I... 
Um, as I've been working through Romans, been listening to Martin Lloyd-Jones, this famous British pastor back in the 1900s preach, and I told you about Martin Lloyd-Jones would preach in London during World War II, and uh, he would preach in his, his chapel there as the Germans were bombing London, and in some of the tapes you can actually hear uh, bombing going on in the background, and it says that, that they would bomb in London, and uh, Lloyd-Jones would be standing in his very British, you know, stoic delivery, and he would just sort of pause and wait for the, for the dust and the plaster to fall from the ceiling, and then he'd just pick back up. <laughs> so uh, I felt a little kinship with uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones there as that thunder was coming. So Jesus has died for our sins. So if Jesus has died... How can we be charged again? How can we be charged again with sin if Jesus has satisfied the holiness of God? And to understand how Jesus satisfies the holiness of God, we need to understand the nature of Jesus. He is fully God and fully man. Jesus is a full human. And it was necessary for Jesus to be fully human to stand in our stead. Listen to Hebrews 2 verses 14 through 18. Verse 14 of chapter 2 of Hebrews says this, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Remember, we were slaves. We We were singing that song, look down, look down. But we've been... Freed from that slavery. Verse 16. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. That's people who have faith in God and what he's done in Christ. Verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. In other words, Jesus was fully human. Why was his full humanity necessary? The next part of the sentence there. So that he might become a merciful And faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation. In other words, satisfaction for the sins of the people. So in order to atone for the sins of humanity, Jesus had to become fully human. So we know flesh for flesh, an eye for an eye, Jesus becomes a human, the one God human for the sin of all those that would ever turn and trust in him. Verse 18, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So Jesus has died for us as a perfect, sinless human, a man on the cross. So it's important and essential for us to know that Jesus was fully human. But it's also just as important, even more important, for us to understand that Jesus is not just a man. He is fully God. Jesus is is fully God. And it is essential for us to know and believe that Jesus is fully God because the punishment must fit the crime. And so therefore, because our crime is against an infinitely holy and righteous God, the punishment that we should receive should go on forever and ever and ever. And because our punishment should go on forever and ever and ever, we have a God-sized problem. Therefore, we need a God-sized Savior. And Jesus, being not just fully man, but fully God, is 
infinitely holy and righteous. And because he's infinitely and holy righteous, his sacrifice can satisfy an infinite and holy judgment. So on the cross, Jesus is the perfect God-man, the one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, as we read earlier. Jesus died. The second statement there is that Jesus was raised from the grave. So he doesn't just die, but he comes back to life. And in his resurrection, it is a sign that Jesus was vindicated and innocent, vindicated by the Father, God the Father, approving of the work of the Son and glorifying and exalting him. Jesus hasn't just died, but he's risen again. And now Jesus, it says, is at the right hand of God. Jesus is finished. This idea of Jesus being at the right hand of God in a finished, seated position is showing us and displaying us that Jesus has finished his work once and for all. It's over. He doesn't have to do it year after year or every sin that we commit, but he has once and for all conquered sin, death, and the grave, and is, and this is the last part of this truth, this voice that is crying out, we are free, is that Jesus, who has died, who was raised, who's finished and seated at the right hand of God, is interceding for us, right? So Jesus, think about this. We talked a couple weeks about how the Holy Spirit works and groans through us and helps us in our weaknesses when we don't know what to pray. And so on the ground we have the third person of the Trinity pleading for us, through us, even when we don't know what to pray. And on the other end of the line in heaven we have God the Son interceding for us, saying, Father, those ones are mine. They're the ones that you gave me. They are yours. And that voice that says, look down, look down, you'll always be a slave, is false. Jesus has died. And Jesus was raised. And Jesus is at the right hand of God. And Jesus is interceding for us. So that's the gospel truth. How then does this apply to us? Because hopefully you've heard that before. And you're like, okay, Brad, we got this. Man, we've been taking a long time going through Romans. Can we speed this puppy up a little bit? Well, let's stop and think about some application. How does this apply to our lives? Maybe you're a middle-aged businessman, and I just came to the realization that I'm in my mid-40s, which one of my children called me middle-aged the other day, and I wasn't quite ready for that, <laughs> that moniker, you know? And I said, I'm not middle-aged. And they said, well, you're in your mid-40s, and most people live to be 80-something, and that's kind of the middle of 80, and so you're middle-aged. And I said, I think you're right. (laughs) You little punk, go mow the lawn. (laughs) Maybe you're a middle-aged businessman, and you've arrived at your place in life by a combination of cutting the corners and selfish ambition. And you look back on things that you've done to get to where you are, and you're filled with guilt. And there's this voice in the back of your mind that says, look down, look down. You'll always be a slave. Look down, look down. You're standing in your grave. You need to hear so that maybe you will finally break out of that 
deep-seated insecurity and guilt complex that drives the way you interact with your wife and children and everything around you, you need to hear the true and greater news. Jesus has died. Jesus has risen. Jesus is at the right hand of God. And Jesus is interceding for you. He will bring you all the way home. Maybe you are an overwhelmed young mother. And you are strangely addicted to comparison. And you're like a, you're like a, a mosquito that just keeps flying into the light. You know those little zapper lights? And those zapper lights are social media. And another article about what you should be doing to keep your kids healthy and whole. And it's just another thing stacked on top of you. And it's just a voice in the back of your mind reminding you just how unworthy you are and what a wreck you are compared to Facebook gluten-free CrossFit supermom. And again, I don't even know what gluten is. Why weren't we talking about it five years ago? If it's so bad, how come I just learned about it? All right. If you want to email me on that, my email is robert at insidecrosspoint.com. Jeez, with this gluten stuff. I'm sure it's terrible. Okay, whatever. And you are overwhelmed. And because the voice of the world is, you're not good enough, young mom. You're not pretty enough. You're not organized enough. You're not fit enough. Your diet, your pantry's not planned out enough. You know, you let your child eat bread. Look down, look down. You'll always be a slave. Look down, look down. You're standing in your grave. You, young mom, need to tune up the volume of the gospel and hear these words that are greater than that half-truth. Jesus died. Jesus was raised again. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. And Jesus is interceding for you. You are maybe divorced. (laughs) And since... Your divorce, every room or church gathering or small group or gathering that you walk into, in the deep recesses of your heart, there is this loud ringing insecurity, wondering if everybody notices that you are alone and if they're judging you and wondering what went wrong, why your marriage didn't work. Or, even more subtle, your radar is up because you're tired of dealing with that. And it's up for the Christian sympathy, you know, that patronizing feeling like people are just trying to include you because it's their Christian duty. And you're hearing that lie, look down, look down, you'll always be a slave Look down, look down, you're standing in your grave. What do you need to do? 
you need to hear the greater and truer voice. Jesus died. Jesus was raised. Jesus is at the right hand of God. And Jesus is interceding for you. That may have been true in the past. That failure may have been true. But now there is a greater truth that Jesus has died for that sin. And he is advocating for you to the Father. And he will bring you all the way home. So these two voices are speaking. My question to us and Paul's question to us is which one is louder? Why do we need God's word? Why do we need each other? Why do we gather here, right? Why do we gather and just, have you noticed that all of the messages here are basically the same? Look to Christ. Jesus died. Jesus was risen. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is interceding for you. Have you noticed that we got one drum and we just bang it Sunday after Sunday? Why? Have Have you noticed that? Because we need to hear that voice over and over and over again. And then we need to live together in community in a way where that voice becomes massaged and applied and woven into every unbelieving, insecure corner of my heart. So there are two voices speaking. One whispers half-truths that are ultimately lies. Look down. Look down. You'll always be a slave. Look down. Look down. You're standing in your grave the greater and truer gospel voice rings and it says Jesus died Jesus was raised Jesus is at the right hand of God and Jesus is interceding for you which voice will you live by which voice is louder if you're a Christian hear that voice afresh if you're not a Christian There's nothing standing between you and hearing that voice but your own stubborn heart. And I pray that God in his kindness might soften your heart so that you can hear and tune up the volume switch of the gospel so that it would drown out other voices. Even now, turn from your trust in yourself. Turn from the lie and turn in faith and trust the gospel truth and voice of Jesus who died, who rose again, who's at the right hand of God, who's interceding for you. Let's pray. Lord, the, the world, the flesh, and our accuser, the enemy, lies But what makes it such a challenge is it's a lie because it's only a half-truth. Yes, we have done these things. Yes, we have failed. But on the cross, in Christ, you have done something with that failure. You have 
satisfied your holy wrath against it and you've defeated it. And as we read this morning, you have triumphed over it through the cross. And now a greater and fuller truth rings that Jesus has died, has risen again, is finished with his work at the right hand of your throne and is indeed interceding for us. Lord, would you, by your grace, by your Holy Spirit, because you are a good and gracious Father, would you tune our hearts into the gospel and not the lie? And would it put steel in our spines? And would it empower us to be voice pieces and witnesses of this truth? And would that truth and that message become so clear and so beautiful and so irresistible that it would melt hard hearts all across this room? And would we revel in it and stand on this truth? It is God who justifies. Therefore, who can condemn us? Christ Jesus is the one who died, who was raised, who's at your right hand, who indeed is interceding for us. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.